Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 16, The Nakona Liquid Strangler. And we're back! We are back. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. How have you been? I've been wonderful. How have you been? Good. Producer? Where's your mic? Go fuck yourself! Okay, that's what we wanted. Okay, cool. (laughs) So this week... We are going to talk about a woman by the name of Vicki Dawn Jackson. I don't know if you know who she is. She sounds like she's down at the bar right now. She, no, she's no. not. I can tell you. All of this that we're about to talk about happened in Nakona, Texas. The population uh, as of 2010 was 3,033. The city, its lake, and the regional travel destination was featured in the June 2012 edition of Texas Highways Magazine. So where is Nakona? It is, I'm glad you asked. I have that information. It is 106 miles northeast of Dallas. It's right close to the Texas-Oklahoma border. Okay. So, nor, uh, yeah, northeast. Yeah, lots of good things happen there. Never yeah, heard yeah, of yeah. it. So let's talk about Vicki Dawn. Vicki Dawn Jackson, doesn't that sound pretty Texan? Vicki yeah. Dawn. She came to Nakona with her family from Indiana in the early 80s. She, at that time, she was only 15. They moved so that her younger brother, who suffered from asthma, could live in a drier climate. They bought an old rundown house on Henrietta Street. Her father worked as a shade tree mechanic. Her mother worked double shifts at the Nakona Nursing Home as a cook. So to help her parents out and help them make ends meet, she got a job at the nursing home. She worked um, after school in the laundry room. So during her junior year, she was promoted to a nurse's aide. She dressed and undressed the patients, emptied their bedpans. Oh, mm, what a good person. Gave them enemas, bathed them, and turned turn them in their beds so that they would not get bed sores. Like Sounds like cooked, a pretty good person, huh? Good person. Human vegetables. Mm. Mm. Damn, that's... Yeah. Honey. You might be salty already. Cynical. One afternoon during her junior year, a, a construction worker walked up to her in a game room where she liked to go and play Miss Pac-Man. His name was Johnny McLaughlin, and he told her she was cute. Uh, A few weeks later, she convinced her parents that she was in love with him. He was five years older than her, but um, they got married in front of the JP. And to no one's surprise, they were divorced within a year. So she moves back in with her parents. She graduated from high school in 1984, which is also the same year I graduated. She went to work full-time at a nursing home. She wanted to save enough money so she could enroll into a junior college. She wanted to be an LVN. But within six months, she was pregnant. Leroy Carson, a young Nakona man who was self-employed, a mechanic just like her father, uh, paid her some attention. She said, he told me that he loved me. And summarizing their first day together, she believed him. They married in May of 1985. They moved into a tiny house right across the street from her parents. And after the birth of her son, Curtis... She became pregnant again and in 86 gave birth to a daughter named Jennifer. Does she not know what keeps causing that? Maybe not. 
One year later, she began going to nursing school part-time. She led a very hectic life, raising two kids, cooking meals, cleaning house, going to college, and working the night shift at the nursing home. Her problems were compounded when her parents, who had been taking care of her son and daughter when she was at work, moved back to Indiana to care for her dying grandfather. Basically, her friends were saying she was burning the candle at both ends. She was working so hard she wasn't getting any sleep. They told her to slow down, but she didn't listen. She just kept saying she could get it done. So in 1989, she finally became an LVN. She was working at the Nakona Nursing Home still. They promoted her to night shift nurse. And that's hard work, to work at the nursing home. That's hard. I'm sure. I, I've never done it. I don't even like going in them they make me sad no it, it's sad. so i can't even i've been to a lot of them it's sad because there are so many that are there because there's nowhere else for them to go and they have they're just it's like a prison they're mm-hmm. just there until they die it's so it's sad. sad and then some of them don't have family members that come check on them and i'm sure those are the ones that are probably more neglected so she was so devoted to her job that sometimes she took her kids with her and they made get well cards for some of the residents with Aww. with Crayolas and stuff like that. She also liked to have copies of True Story on hand, which was, I guess, a romance magazine. Uh, she bought one every month at the grocery store. And late at night, she'd read articles to some of her female patients about women meeting the men of their dreams and live in houses with picket fences and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, One day, she had her hair styled at Country Cuts, one of the Nakona's better beauty salons. And afterwards, she drove 48 miles to Wichita Falls to have her picture taken at a Glamour Shots. Oh, wow. Do you remember those? I do. I have yours. Oh, my God. Don't remind me. (laughs) For the photo shoot, she wore a gold lame jacket, large earrings covered with imitation gemstones. And a few days later, she presented the photo to Leroy. He wasn't impressed. What? In 1994, he moved out and the couple divorced two years later. Um, if I brought you glamour shots, I would be so sad if you were not like, hey, these are hubba mine. Hubba. Like, I'm yeah. going to keep these with hey, me. Hey, these are mine? <laughs> like, I don't want anybody to see them because right? I'm so... Oh, right. It's a side boob. Like, do you... Right <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> I would be so not sad. show anybody else the side boob picture. She said Leroy told her that he would have never married her if she hadn't gotten pregnant. She said, so, so he got her pregnant a second time just to continue the marriage. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Cause it wasn't, it was barely a year later. Right? Yeah. So yeah. he told me that I had become a stupid, boring nurse and that no one cared about me. Pretty sad. That's so rude. Uh, in 97, after spending an entire evening at third spur, which I'm not really sure what that is. I kind of tried to look it up. I'm guessing it's a bar or someplace there in Nakona where people yeah. hung out. The two spurs, where would the third spur go? Hmm. Maybe mm. it's a secret. It's, it's an underground a, a secret. Dingus bar. Maybe it's the Velvet Underground. The Dingus bar. Uh, Bowtie Willies. <laughs> so she spent an entire evening there talking to no one. She decided she was going to walk up to the next man who came through the door and ask him to dance. The man was Kirk Jackson. He was 31 years old, 5 feet, 3 inches tall, a little round, and slightly balding. And a little short. 5 foot 3? I'm sorry, I'm a little short. Hey. Ew. They sat. Short guys. They <laughs> They sat together, got tipsy, Kirk drank beer, Vicky had more pina coladas, and when Vicky learned that Kirk worked as an aide at a nursing home in nearby St. Joe, she said dreamily, this must be fate. Even more ick. They then danced to a slow Garth Brooks song. I'm sorry, aren't they all slow? (laughs) 
I had to do it. I had to do it. No, they're not all slow. Oh, hold on. His hand sliding down to squeeze her bottom. Not her bottom. Her bottom. Two months after they met, on July 4th, they held their wedding ceremony at a public park Did you say Lake Nakona. I'm sorry. (laughs) Did you say wedding? Yes. This would be her third one, This is her third marriage? Yeah. So, yeah. Three weddings, two children. Vicky redecorated her home, buying a new waterbed so Kirk wouldn't have to sleep on the same bed Leroy had. How considerate. She purchased matching recliners and put in front of the television and she bought a chihuahua puppy that she jokingly named Killer because he was so small. So after Kirk was hired by the Nakona General Hospital to work the night shift as a nurse's aide, Vicky also got a job there as a night shift LVN. So the two of them could spend more time together. She began taking courses at the community college telling her children her goal was to become an RN so that she could have more responsibilities at the hospital, make more money, and someday buy a nicer house. It wasn't long before the bad days returned. Kirk had never been married, and on his nights off, he liked to have his friends come over to the house to drink and play cards. She said that she told him, you know, for the sake of the family, you've got to stop drinking. The kids can't sleep. It's too loud. You're having parties. She said she tried to talk to him about his alcohol use and about his role as a husband. And he got mad and called me a bitch and said, oh no, you're not going to control my life. Oh no, he didn't. She was worried that he was going to leave. One of the ladies that worked with her at the hospital said that she didn't like the way he flirted with the prettier nurses. Sometimes she'd go stand by herself at the end of the hall trying not to cry. And she would say, I can tell Kirk doesn't love me. Maybe because you married him two seconds after you met him. Yeah. Like, I mean, how do you, you can't, marriage doesn't make them love you. Yeah, hold them down. It has love to happen me. before you marry them. He touched her butt during a Garth Slow, slow song. Garth. That's what happens that during love. <laughs> I've got hands in low places. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good one. All right. In late 1999, not being able to handle all the tension between his mom and Kirk, Curtis, her son, packed up his things and moved in with his dad. So how old was he at this time? It doesn't say. Uh, What, 15? 15? Yep. Okay. A few months later, Jennifer did the same. So now her kids have moved out. It was during this time that Vicky possibly made her one cry for help. She went to see a counselor at a public mental health center in the nearby town of Bowie. She would go before work. So she would be in her nurse's uniform. She would sit on a chair and talk. And according to the counselor's notes, she admitted that she was deeply depressed and felt rejected and unloved. She also said she was going through mood swings. She said she was alternating between rages of irritability tearfulness she just couldn't control her emotions she was unable to recall what she might have liked to do for fun which i think is really sad when you get to the point where you don't remember what's fun and lack of interest is the most awful thing in the world because there are things that you know would make you happy Mm -hmm. that always have right and that doesn't really change usually i don't want to fucking do this crazy i've gone through it i've gone through all these things so i'm kind of scared now but... uh the counselor had no doubt seen many women just like vicky worn down small small town wives stuck with bad husbands uh and evidently she wasn't alarmed because after the second session in which vicky told her counselor that she was worried that kirk was having an affair she just simply recommended that vicky read the book called adultery the forgivable sin you know where did she get her license? That's a As great a counselor. question. When I read that, I was like, I, are you, I have to leave that in. Are you freaking kidding me? 
Yeah. Oh, your husband's cheating? Go read this book. Why don't you go bust his cheating ass? Kick him right in the nuts. Get your shit and, lo- and leave. Well, in order to kick him in the nuts, she'd have to probably get on her knees because he's so short. Oh. What a piece of shit. Then just, yeah, just punch him. Jesus fucking Christ, a book. A book, a book. yeah. That which has nothing to do with how she's feeling. Mm-mm. It's just about how you need to learn how to forgive your husband. Sorry, it there's, says there's a lot I could forgive. Forgivable That's sin. not something I can And that forgive. probably is forgivable, but I mean, you got a lot of shit you got to work through before you get to that, right? I don't think I could forgive that. No. I, there's a lot it's that I can... easy to say. That's true. It's true. Well, there's a difference between talking to someone or flirting with someone, and there's a complete other than having intercourse or having oral sex or any Sexual kind of sex. contact. Because if you have the intention oh of God. sleeping with someone, sleeping with someone, mm-hmm. when you're married, yeah, no. I don't think I could forgive that. Her daughter, Jennifer, she would see her mom sometimes on the weekend. And she said that she started noticing that there was something serious going on. She said she'd be sitting on the little steps outside of of the front door, staring at nothing. Or she'd stand at the kitchen stove, stirring things in a pot, her mind a million miles away. And Jennifer said one day she was standing at the stove, suddenly turned around and kicked the dog, which she had never done before. One weekend visit, Vicky told her daughter that she'd been seeing a counselor. And she said, I asked mom what that meant. And she said, it means I could kill you and get away with it. (gasps) She said, what do you mean? She said, I might be bipolar. So clearly... The counselor did not explain to her what her role was in her life. So she felt that she had this counselor that made it okay to feel the way she felt. Or maybe this was the first time in her life where she was actually getting validation on her feelings, whether they're right or wrong. Someone's telling her, yes, this way that you're feeling, there's a disorder for it. That doesn't, I mean, I guess in her mind, she's thinking, oh, well, it's fine because it's a diagnosed thing. She's a nurse or studying to be one. So I guess in her mind... It's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For her, I guess. I don't know. So, of course, her daughter now was scared, and she said, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I didn't think she was talking directly about killing me. She's my mom, but I still felt something, like like something in her mom was crumbling. And she said, um, the next time I went over there for the weekend, I started sleeping with a baseball bat beside my bed. Poor girl. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big red flag. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. Like, I've never, I was, I was never been scared of mom or dad. Me. Oh, I was scared of dad, but not in a... It's going to kill me kind of way. No, like a healthy, like a healthy fear. fear. I agree. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. But I've never, but not, been, in I've my, never been afraid for my life. No, I've never been scared of my own home of the people I live with. No. That's sad. Um, so at this point, her third marriage is falling apart. Her children have left her. And not only that, she was having to pay for the loss, meaning after her kids moved in back with her dad, he went to court claiming that he now deserved child support. So now... She has to pay her ex-husband $300 a month. So Vicky was telling a story, uh, this was to her counselor, about two women who had been cheerleaders. She said they lived in a neighborhood that Nakona's poorer residents referred to as Snob Hill. Uh, the two women had come to the hospital to see one of their mothers, who was a patient. And as they stood by the bed, Vicky came in to check on the IV. She said, they never looked my way, but I changed the IV bag and took care of my patient. That's my duty. She said, do you know how easy it would have been for them to say hello or thank you? But they looked right through me. So she felt invisible, I think. Uh, She'd spent, at this point, she'd spent almost two decades taking care of the Nakona's residents, working her fingers to the bone for them, fluffing their pillows, fixing their medicines, cleaning up their vomit, and always reminding them as they drifted off to sleep, to dream sweet dreams. When it was time for those patients to leave the hospital, she helped them to their cars and then stood in the parking lot waving goodbye. Yet most of their families 
were just like the cheerleaders. They looked right through her. For most people in the town, Vicky was just Nurse Vicky, the quiet wallflower from Henrietta Street who wore cheap perfume. I don't go into the room and help a patient for them to say thank you. I don't need that reassurance that I did a good job from them because I know I did. When I've got when I go into a room with a patient, and I talk to them and their families there. There are times that the spouse or the daughter they don't even they acknowledge that I'm in the room. They don't. The patient does all the answering of the questions. They never say they never say anything to me. But I'm not there for them. The patient is good. The patient's healthy, and they're able to leave. They're able to answer questions. So I did my job. Mm-hmm. I'm not there for them. It's not really fair to compare because you're not in the mindset that she's in. That's she's true. not healthy. She's had three failed marriages. Her kids don't want to live with her. She's in a bad marriage. She feels invisible, unloved, and unappreciative. So when you're already with that mindset, you're going to find negative in everything. Well, and it also does make sense that if she's not getting the validation from other places in her life, then she's expecting it from there. She's hoping that because if she goes above and beyond in this one area where she feels like that's her expertise, this is what she knows, these people are going to love her because she's taking care of them and she's not getting in the one place that she feels like she should. That makes she's, sense. So what this leads up to is on December 11th of 2000, she decides to fill a syringe with Mavicurium chloride, walks into the room of 100-year-old widow named Donnie Jennings, who was the matriarch of one of the town's pioneer families. This woman was very demanding. She was not happy when she did not receive enough attention. She complained a lot. She'd spit on people, hit people with her hands if she didn't get what she wanted. She said, I liked her very much. So she used the IV to inject Mavicurium chloride. So this drug is what they use to drug people. It kind of paralyzes you temporarily. It's mainly used to intubate people. Mm -hmm. So you're awake, but your body is just shut down. So the drug ran through a tube into her arm, and within seconds, she was having trouble breathing. Soon she was turning blue and foaming at the mouth. She tried to cry out for help, but because her paralyzed lungs were unable to suck in any oxygen, she could make only faint gasping noises before she suffocated to death. A nurse's scary. A nurse's aide found Jennings at 1.45 in the morning. Although it seemed odd that she would simply stop breathing, when she was last checked at midnight, her vital signs had been normal. So her death wasn't considered remarkable because of her age. She was 100 years old. Was she not on a monitor? She should have been on a monitor. And if she flatlines, you do a code blue unless she's a DNR and then you just turn the machines off. I, I don't know. Vicky, who was standing in the nurse's station, stepped forward and said she knew the family and would call them with the news. So is this her way of like getting in with them is to be the one to tell them that their mom is dead? Both getting back at them and helping them? I don't know. So when she calls the, the daughter, she's like, but I just saw her earlier the night. She smiled at me. And so Vicky says, oh, you know, life can be so hard sometimes. I personally know so well how hard it can be. I cannot tell you how sorry I am for your loss. I'm more concerned that she would lay dead in the room for an hour and 45 minutes before anybody knew about it. Mm-hmm. Because if she that, was- that is, but it was, yeah, I don't know. This is a small hospital. I don't know. This was 99 or no, this is actually 2000. So I don't know. I kind of thought that too. How would I mean, they th- not I mean, know? You had Bryn in 2001. Mm-hmm. I mean, were you not hooked to a monitor the whole time? Before I had her. Yeah. yeah. After after when I was in recovery, no. But they came and checked on me pretty yeah. often. Yeah. At least every two hours they're yeah. supposed to check on you. Yeah. But I mean, 12 to the time they found her, that's almost two hours. It's Maybe they crazy. didn't have her hooked on a heart monitor. Like if she wasn't in there for 
heart problems if she was in there for something else. It didn't say what she was in there for. I mean, even when Russell just had his surgery, he didn't have heart problems. He was hooked to monitor the whole time. Yeah, but this is 2019. Yeah. Uh, who knows? And this is a very tiny hospital. I'm what yeah, what this I what is I, a I bet. Shop in the well, and I'm sure what she did. You know what you, you know what I you know what I bet she did. I what? bet she killed her. And before she killed her, she probably put the monitor on herself. Killed her, and then took her own vitals so that the vitals would be hers. Oh, maybe and it, not. The I don't patients. know if it goes into that much detail later on. We'll have to see. That just would make sense why her vital signs would be normal. I wouldn't say that those vital signs would be normal. She'd have to be pretty fucking psychotic for those vital signs to be normal. But the normal mm. parameters for vital signs w- would have been normal for her. Right. You're about to kill somebody. Oh, right? I see what you're saying. Yeah, she, you're she's, a, or you're in the process of killing somebody. Your vital signs are not going to be normal unless you're a stone cold, doesn't care fucking psychic. Right. And what he's saying is if it had been her own vitals, wouldn't her heartbeat have been more rapid? because Not of what if she was, was relaxed about and so exactly, excited about what, what she's doing. Yeah. I don't know. On December 20th, we have another incident. So Vicky goes into the room of an 87-year-old farmer named L.G. Hudson, who had been admitted to the hospital with a broken leg. She pulled out a syringe and injected him with mybacurium chloride. Less than 20 minutes later, she walked down to the other end of the hallway and injected it into Sanford Mitchell, a 62-year-old retired supervisor for an electric company who had been admitted for cirrhosis. She then walked back into Hudson's room where nurses were gathered around his bed, frantically trying to save him and said, y'all, someone needs to check on Mr. Mitchell. He slumped over, which was the second guy, right? Four days later, on Christmas Eve, she went after a 50-year-old Barbara Atterbury, who had come to the hospital for back pain, and later that day, she died with another 87-year-old Boyd Burnett, who had been brought into the hospital because he felt disoriented. Five days after that, she killed 80-year-old James Gore, who had been admitted because he aspirated some food, and died. Seven hours later, she got rid of 79-year-old Gertie Matthews, who had been admitted for dementia and a UTI. As nurses were trying to revive Gore and Matthews, she stood in the back of each room and watched saying very little oh my god how sick so in the month of december alone seven patients from nakona general died after going into respiratory arrest none of them had any history of serious respiratory problems two patients had suddenly stopped breathing within minutes of each other an event unheard of even in larger hospitals the problem is how could how could the doctors not be suspicious Dr. Chance Dingler. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. D. I told you. I think we broke Russell. Yes. So I'm I'm not gonna call him Dr. Dingler. <laughs> was, was he a urologist? Dingler, 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 D-I-N-G-L-E-R. Oh my God. Well, and the other thing about that drug. Is that it, which I'm sure she knew, is that the reason why it kills them is because it, it's supposed to be used in conjunction with, with intubation, right? Right. And you're not, you're probably only supposed to give them very, very oh, small very, amounts. And then you're supposed to monitor their vitals as you give it. They're supposed to give it. Then you're supposed to intubate and start. And you're supposed to breathe for them. Yeah, you're breathing for right. them because then Their it's, body's it's, not it's supposed them. to be quick in, quick out, right? Mm-hmm. Because then by the time that you're done intubated them, hopefully now you can wean them off. off. You can wean them off intubation, you can extubate them, and they can breathe on their own. But if you've given them so much, 
and you're, you're not breathing mm-hmm. for them, they're going they're going to literally suffocate. Yep. And if the other doctors and nurses don't know that they've been given this drug, they're going to give them CPR, which is what happened in every case. It's not going to work because their body's shutting down. Well, and I think that she probably gave them so much. Yeah. That even the intubation that well, they may have tried. Well, she filled a syringe. So how much, how many cc's does a regular syringe hold? It depends. There's, I mean, because I have like four different ones that I could think of. What's the min and the max? Well, I have one that's 0.5 ml. I have one that's 2 ml. So but you either can, one of those would still be too much. Oh, yeah. Because I think you're supposed to give like 0.1 or 0.2 cc's of that class of drugs, depending on the size of the patient. Right. So this Dr. Dingler was one of the a handful of physicians who worked at the hospital. His brother was chief of staff. Later in a civil disposition said that he assumed the hospital was just having a run of bad luck. Can you believe that? What's hard for me to believe that is they all died in the same manner. I know they came in for different reasons, mm-hmm. but That's it's not point. it's not like like one died because they had a punctured lung. Right. And that's why they died from respiratory problems. Or, the other or one, one had pneumonia. A serious infection or yeah. Something. Right. They all just stopped breathing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would be worried. My first assumption would be that there's a really, really bad respiratory virus going around. That's what that's I would That's being undetected. Yeah. That would RSV, be my first. is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. That would be my first assumption. But Or something in the air. Something. Or, or the, something in the mask or yeah. whatever, Maybe whatever commonality these patients is had. There, is the oxygen bad mm-hmm. that we're giving them when they're waiting, you know? like or Are we using dirty needles? Like, what's going on? So scary. The CEO, Charles Norris, said he didn't believe anything abnormal was taking place because all of the patients had been elderly. Furthermore, he said older patients tended to die more frequently during the winter months. I agree with that. If they have pneumonia or they're diabetic, I can I can agree with that. Mm-hmm. Patient was complaining but... of a assist died. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I mean, that you, you said one guy came, one person, Broken leg. one person came in with dementia and a UTI. Mm-hmm. I mean, you give them some IV antibiotics and you rehydrate them and they become a new person. You send them on their way. That's what happened to my grandmother. How many yeah. times? Well, and she went home the same night. Dementia patients are the hardest ones to diagnose UTIs in because confusion is the number one symptom when you get older mm-hmm. and they're already confused. So you don't realize they have it till they're batshit and they're yeah, like crazy, going absolute crazy and then the UTI is really bad. Mm-hmm. But respiratory failure would not happen all of a sudden. So incredibly, these doctors and administrators didn't even get suspicious when five more patients died after going into respiratory arrest during the first eight days of January. I really hope you tell me that those doctors went down with her. The administration, in fact, was so happy with the way things were going, it approved an advertisement no. nearly you, a full no. page in size. No. Did you say happy? They're happy with things? Was so happy with the way things were going that it approved nearly a full page in size advertisement that began running in the Nakona News. It featured all of the hospital's nurses and nurses' aides. Nurses, and this is in quotes, so this must have been what the headline said. Nurses are some of the many stars who offer quality, compassionate care at Nakona General Hospital. Read the first line. Nurses are some of many stars who offer quality compassion. Uh. And who was placed at the very top of the ad? It was Nurse Vicky, smiling pleasantly, her blonde hair pulled back in a little knot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what what is there to be happy about that they're not dying alone that these as a as another nurse like as another nurse i'd be like nobody do, knows what's at this point though let's just i know but i'm at saying this like point nobody suspects anything suspicious so in their minds these elderly people are dying and it's just their time it's the winter they're old 
This is, this is consistent with what happens this time of year. Even though it's twice the normal amount, they're in denial. But even after doing CPR on all those patients, if they weren't a DNR, not one of them came back. Like that doesn't even, even just one of them, that, that's just weird. Like, I'm just amazed that someone didn't be like, what the hell is going on Maybe here? Maybe that's part of the problem is that they were too clueless or they didn't care. They were going through the motions. I would, I would probably have left because I'd have been like, I'm sick of losing people. My job is to save them, not help them cross over. But I mean, other nurses, I mean, maybe they will later on start to question, but right now not. So by mid-January, she was getting braver. And so how many patients have gone by this point? At more than 10, at least 10. In the, during the winter time. Right. So we, it started in early December and now we're in January. So it's barely been a month. So we're talking serial killer status now. Yeah. At this point, mm -hmm, at this point, she is a serial killer and she's completely not on anybody's radar. So she's getting braver. One night, she injected the drug into Jimmy Ray Holder as his wife sat beside him. She then went after another patient, 95-year-old Oma Weiler, twice. The first time, she injected her. Other nurses found her still breathing and were able to resuscitate her. So there's the first case. Okay. Four days later, she slipped back into the room, injected her again, this time killing her. Maybe the doctors weren't perplexed by the deaths, but people in the town certainly were. Finally, right? Your grandma's dead too? Damn. It's the same. Yeah. Finally, somebody's starting to get suspicious, right? Tracy Messler, the editor of the Nakona News, told his wife, Linda, who sold the ads, that he had never before had to run so many obituaries. He was up to five or six a week instead of the usual three or four. The owner of one of the town's flower shops mentioned to a friend that she was doing nearly record-breaking business selling arrangements to mourners and the directors of the town's two funeral homes. One catered mostly to Baptists and Methodists, the other to everyone else. We're having such a banner year that they started talking about buying new hearses. So is she like giving a kickback? <laughs> yeah, right? No, she's, she's spreading uh, job opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Is that why she the town was like, shh, don't say anything. Yeah. We're banking, man. We're banking. Normal. About the only Nakona business that was taking a hit from all the deaths was the Dairy Queen. <laughs> Which... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was going get... Nobody was getting steak finger baskets after Come the funeral. Come on, man. Like all the snow, the guy's like doing a blizzard. He's like, cricket. <laughs> Who doesn't want a blizzard, man? I mean, I can imagine everyone in the town would, would make money. The grocery stores, the gas stations. Everywhere. The Dairy Queen always sent paper plates and cups to the homes of anyone who died so they could be used for the post-funeral receptions. I began thinking, if this dying doesn't slow down, we're liable to run out of paper products, said the manager of Dairy Queen. You know, every small town in Texas has a Dairy Queen. Oh, so finally there are a few nurses that were starting to get suspicious. A couple of them even jokingly uh, started calling the night shift the killing crew. One nurse did find it odd that Vicky was the last staffer who several of the patients had seen before dying. Another nurse also found it odd that instead of calling from the room, Vicky had rather casually walked to the nurse's station a couple of times to announce that she had noticed the patient was having trouble breathing. As a nurse, like, why are you going to get more nurses to tell them he's having trouble breathing? Yeah. So but not all of them were... I, right. You I don't know. Want to be but what I'm saying is that... Obviously, maybe she's the, maybe this situation 
is the reason why everything's on lockdown now. She could have been the, the catalyst to so. all of those changes. One of the night shift RNs noticed that whenever patients were acting rude or unruly, Vicky's eyes would glaze over as if she were in a fog. But she would be the first one to the room saying, I'll take care of it or I'll fix it. If her eyes glaze over like that, yeah. clearly she's someone else or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Vicky did have some relationships with some of the patients who had died. So if I think if they had been smart and started putting it together, they might have figured it out sooner. Barbara Atterbury and Boyd Burnett, for instance, had family members who used to make fun of Vicky during their days at the Nakona High School. Mm -hmm. uh, Sanford Mitchell, we remember him. He used to stare at her breast and call her nurse tits. Why did she get offended by that? Right? I mean, okay. that's what she wants is attention. And then LG Hudson's son was an EMT, worked part-time as a minister at the church. When he wasn't on call, he would hunt Vicky down and tell her that all her personal problems would be resolved if she would only be born again. So Jesus into your heart. <laughs> Jesus. On January 11th, they found John Williams dead, 78 years old, an old rancher. And he came in because he had a sore in his foot. So she killed him and then goes outside, standing right by the front door, waiting for his family to show up. The first person to show up was Pat, which is his son. And in her younger days, she used to have a crush on him, a crush mm -hmm. on Pat. But like his brothers, ignored her. When he got to the hospital, she walked straight to him and said, Pat, I'm so, so sorry for your loss. I know how you must feel. She also told him that she had taken his dad outside earlier that evening and let him smoke a cigarette and that he told her that he had lived a good life and was ready to go. That's he thought, up. dad wasn't even that sick. Why would he have said that? He said, then she took him and his brothers into the room to see their dad. And he said, I'll never forget that scene as long as I live. She hadn't fixed him up at all. His cheeks and eyes were sunken. His mouth was open like he'd been screaming. He looked like a ghoul in a horror movie. Oh, my God. Makes me want to cry. Another reason why it's important to not go to the hospital by yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, she did there. inject it that one time in front of the wife. But if they were both elderly, then but she wouldn't have known. No. And if the wife had been there the second time, probably would have been the same thing. Like, she waited until he was alone. None of the nurses could make themselves believe that Vicky was somehow involved in killing the patients. And why should they? I mean... She was caring and gentle and had worked there for a long time. Throughout all the year 2000, the hospital had not received a single complaint from a patient about her personality or her nursing skills. No, because the ones that complained about her, she offed them. So the only people that... Well, she was basically... Everybody that wronged her in the city, in the town, she was killing their parents. That's basically what this is. Well, and you said that when they had patients that were complaining or were upset, she would go to take care of it. Mm -hmm. So like she was, if they did go in there and she was an asshole to them, she would just, quality control. <laughs> she would what? just, she would just off them. So how, what complaint could yeah. she was the complaint department. Right. But on January 30th, all hell broke loose. Vicky injected the drug into the IV of 82 year old Orville Moore, a feisty former ranch hand who a day or so earlier had called Vicky a fat ass. Mm. Minutes later, she walked down the hall and entered a room of 14-year-old girl Lydia Weatherreed, who was in the hospital with appendicitis. Lydia knew Vicky's children, uh, according to school gossip, and recently turned down Curtis for a date. Hello, Lydia, Vicky said as she injected the drug into her <gasps> IV, telling her the medication was a pain reliever. She walked out of the room, and almost immediately, Lydia told her mother, who was sitting beside her, that her chest hurt. Suddenly, she couldn't speak. 
She began scratching at her throat with her hands. Her mother started screaming. A doctor had been called to the hospital. She was uh, under respiratory arrest and rushed into Lydia's room with other nurses and quickly revived her. Thank you, God. One day later, Vicky went after two more patients. Right before the 7 a.m. shift change, she injected the drug into a 46-year-old woman named Donna Curunet. While she was still conscious, she was able to reach her nurse's button and whisper, I can't breathe. I'm having a reaction. As a doctor and nurses ran into her room, a staffer shouted that another patient had gone into respiratory arrest. It was 35-year-old Lisa Pelkey, the same Lisa Pelkey who frequented the third spur, which is where she hung out. The doctor and nurses got to Pelkey in time to intubate her before there was any brain damage. Curunet never regained consciousness and died a few weeks later. Okay, now, finally, the hospital is in uproar. Oh, now? She's getting braver, and now there's four in two days. So I think the other ones were spread out enough to where they could somehow justify it. And but now, age. like you said, it's not elderly anymore. So I think well, by going to... the younger girl, I mean, the mom was there and said, oh, it's a pain reliever, and she had a reaction, mm-hmm. right? So maybe they were like, oh, wait, nobody called for anything. What were they giving her? So then... a technician from the hospital's pharmacy walked up to the chief of staff, Lynn Dingler, (laughs) and asked him if it was important that Mavicurium chloride were missing from one of the crash carts. Finally. So after reviewing the records, the hospital's administrators learned that Vicki was not only working at the time of every respiratory arrest, but that she was often the last staffer who had been seen checking on the patients who had died. While they were deciding what to do with her, At that point, they had no legal cause for frying her. They made a huge mistake. They didn't order anyone to keep an eye on her. And Vicky was given the chance of a lifetime to take out the revenge on her husband. Kirk's grandfather, E.E. Preacher Jackson, a 91-year-old former cotton farmer, was admitted to the hospital because he had high fever and cellulitis. On February 4th, Vicky slowly walked up to the nurse's station in a quiet voice, said she believed Preacher Jackson was dead. She then told Kirk, who went outside and wept. What do you mean you believe he's dead? You're a nurse. She just shot him with the freaking drug. Two days later, the hospital CEO, Norris, met with the town's young police chief, Kent Holcomb, to talk about the deaths. Holcomb called the Texas Rangers and the FBI. When the law enforcement agencies realized they didn't have a shred of physical evidence to prove that Vicki was murdering the patients, they set up a hidden camera aimed at the supply of the drug, hoping that they would catch her stealing the vials. To keep her from learning about the investigation, they asked if the hospital administrators and doctors not to reveal anything about what they were doing. Life went on. The night shift staff threw a birthday party for Vicki and her mother-in-law. They had a potluck, dinner, cake, uh, Vicky and Angela received candles, body lotion, and teddy bears. She stood there holding the teddy bear, telling the nurses, Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Y'all don't know what this means to me. They gave the murderer a party. They're trying to act like everything's okay. But to me, I think, I'm pretty sure they probably never did this before. So I think it's because if, if everybody looked right through her, then why are they suddenly throwing her a birthday party? So right. if it were me, I'd be suspicious, but... I think she's just eating up the attention, right? Uh, A couple days after the birthday party, one of Nakona's best-known residents, 61-year-old Donnelly Reed, was admitted to the hospital for post-polio syndrome. He received some medication, quickly felt better, and prepared to return home. But in the early morning hours of February 17th, Vicki showed up at the nurse's station and said, you better go check on Mr. Reed. He is making a snorting horse-like sound. 
A doctor and other nurses were able to resuscitate him, and when they asked him what happened, he said a blonde-haired nurse came in and put something into his IV. She had then smiled and said, can I do anything else for you? Before she was out the door, I feel like a spring was unclothing in my head and couldn't breathe. So two days after that attack, law enforcement officers discovered a syringe and a garbage can at Vicki and Kirk's home. <gasps> she took the needle home with her? Tests later proved that it contained traces of the drug. When they interviewed Kirk, he said he had no clue how the syringe got there. In a separate interview, she said the same thing. She insisted she was genuinely shocked that patients had been murdered. If there was foul play, she added that she would help in any way. She could think of a number of staffers who might have been responsible, but for the time being, she didn't want to point fingers. So the next day, they fired both Vicki and Kirk, although nobody ever believed that her husband had anything to do with it. But in the best interest of the hospital, since it yeah. was her husband, they, they both got fired. I don't blame them there. And so it wasn't long before the Dairy Queen was buzzing with news that Vicki was under investigation for the murder. <laughs> They're not going to run out of uh, plates and forks. I love and these stuff. Texan sayings. You could have knocked us over with a feather, said one Dairy Queen regular. Regular. This oh. is Jim Spalding outside the Dairy Queen here. In, <laughs> in the cone of Texas. A lot of people said she must have just snapped, like those women you see on TV who all of a sudden go from normal to flat out crazy with ever taking time to pause. Anyway, nobody really believed it, but they're like, this is crazy. So she didn't go into hiding. She remained at her house on Henrietta Street. She continued to show up at Dairy Queen to order her taco basket. She walked, I guess she had a back booth. She'd smile and just asking, talking to anybody. She said she had nothing to do with the murders. So in her mind, everything was fine. She was going to keep living her life. She's going to probably find somewhere else to kill, I guess. I don't know. One day she ran into Pat Williams, remember, who said she had last seen at the hospital. How are you, Pat? It's so good to see you. He was completely speechless. If, like, bitch, you tried you to kill me. If you were suspected of killing the dad, that gets, guy's dad, would you go talk to him? No. <laughs> Uh, but that's how Vicky was, I guess. I can tell you one thing. If I broke my leg, I'd be like, don't take me to the hospital. Other direction. So, of course, nobody is more confused over all of this than Kirk. He admitted to his friends that Vicky had not been happy with the way their marriage turned out. He said he could not imagine that she was so unhappy that she'd want to kill people. Eventually, though, he packed up and left town, telling Vicky he was having trouble sleeping. Apparently, he had been having nightmares about her stabbing him with a needle. Well, yeah, he's probably scared because... Hell yeah, would knows? you be? I'd be I would, like, uh-uh. You don't know if she took any extra vials and syringes home. I mean, she could have injected anybody with that. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to have an IV. Mm -hmm. So as soon as he's gone, Vicky returned with a friend to the third spur one night, wearing one of her short Western tops. This time around, some of the cowboys asked her to dance. Maybe they danced with her because the good-looking Lisa Pelkey was no longer there. Pelkey had completely recovered from her attack and moved to the Northwest, where she later uh, said she stopped drinking and was going to church. My way of thanking God for not being murdered. Wait, um, who's Pokey? She's the girl. Remember, she was jealous of her. She made fun of her. And so oh, yes, she yes, killed yes. her mom. Okay. So she was one of the young girls at school that's super pretty. Yeah. And the cheerleaders that made fun of her. So she hung out with her. <clears throat> so now they're hanging out. Even though she could have killed her mother. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they danced with Vicky because someday they wanted to be able to tell the grandchildren that they had two-stepped with a serial killer. <laughs> Jesus. We'll Re tell this at the Dairy Queen for years You know it. Um... <laughs> Anyway, she smiled and smiled that night. She said, her, her friend said, she really acted like she didn't have a care in the world. Maybe she was smiling because in her mind, she really thought she was innocent. 
Or maybe she's la- laughing in her head that she got away with it. Because she's twisted. Yeah, she lost her job, but she's not in jail. So before they could arrest her for murder, they had to be able to prove that the patients had been killed. That meant they had to get a court order to exhume the bodies of the patients who had suffered those arrests. That's a whole lot of... Exhumations are so expensive. Respiratory arrests. Really? Very And then they had to do autopsies to determine if they contained that drug. So exhumations did not begin until June of 2001. So now it's over a year since this whole thing started. Can you imagine being that family that's called where you think that, oh, you know, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, grandfather, they just... They went to the hospital with a problem and, you know, they stopped breathing and, you know, I'm glad they weren't in pain. And then you find out that they were murdered. So well, it wasn't the severe assist? Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big breakout of assets in Nakona. What's Maybe they had on? a severe case of the red ass. The red ass. <laughs> red ass. It's going to make you joke. So at this point, though, many of the families started hiring attorneys to sue the hospital and the doctors for negligence. I would have. I, I would have, too. It, t- it went on way too long. One man who sued, uh, Harry Don Reed, who was the son of the Donnelly Reed, lived across the street from Mr. Dingler. The two of them almost got in a fight after Harry Don shouted across the yard one day, You let that crazy nurse run around in your hospital and you didn't do a thing to stop her? Mm. I don't blame him. I mean, I could see if it He's happened. It. I'd be petty. I'd get on the front yard. Hey! Fuck you. Yeah, I'm sure it was tough on them. Uh-huh. The teenage girl, Lydia, who had been in the hospital with appendicitis, she not only sued, but she wrote a paper for her high school English class about her near-death experience. She later said she was thinking about going to nursing school. She said, after what I've been through, I've decided we could use some better nurses. That's right. You go, girl. Turned it into a positive. <laughs> The months passed. Vicky still acted as if she had done nothing wrong. She even went uh, so far as to get a job as an LVN in a nursing home in Gainesville. Did she get the job? Telling the administrators, who obviously did not check references, that she loved working with older patients. Yeah. But she was fired within a few weeks after the administrators suspected her of attempting to steal medication. So Gainesville does a much better job than freaking. Nakona checking on that stuff. So finally, in July of 2002, they arrested Vicky in a grocery store in Bowie where she had gotten a job in the deli department making sandwiches. Thank God. The shocked deli manager told the paper, they have the wrong person. She was delightful and loved telling funny stories. I mean, if you don't know her history, of course. Well, and she's not walking around with a syringe full of drugs, so she's not very scary. So uh, for reporters around the state, the story seemed too good to be true. Soon they were, everybody was racing to Nakona hoping to get to talk to her. But she refused all requests for interviews. At the Montag County Jail, she spent her time reading issues of True Story. She really liked that magazine. Watching ER. Hey! And also reading the Nakona News coverage of her case, where she was regularly referred to as the Angel of Death. She did become friends with a couple of female inmates, telling them that she was a loving nurse who would never hurt anyone. But according to an affidavit, one of those inmates would later give to the district attorney. Vicky's lawyer sent her a package filled with evidence that would be used at her trial. Included in the package were the autopsy photos that the Emmy had taken of all the bodies that they exhumed. The inmates said to Vicky, how terrible it must be for the families of those who were killed. She looked at her and suddenly let the other side of her personality come through and said, screw those families. Mm. So a year passes as the lawyers prepare for trial and then another year passes and another year passes And then came the surprise plea. When reporters asked Vicky's attorney why she pleaded no contest, 
He said that Vicky had told him it was important to her that a jury never find her guilty of murder. She has never admitted guilt and she was never convicted by a jury. Those things meant something to her. So because nobody's told her she's guilty, she doesn't think she's guilty. Mm -mm. And if she pleads no, if she says no contest, then she's not saying yes or no. Mm -hmm. She's batshit crazy. She fucking is. It was a baffling statement and only set off another round of debate back at the Dairy Queen. (laughs) DQ is where it's at. You know, we got to go visit the Dairy Queen there, Nakona. That's what I like about (laughs) Texas. Callie sings it all the time. So if Vicky refused to admit she was guilty, why would she plead no contest to the murder charges and willingly accept a life sentence in prison? It didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Because if I know I'm so insane that she was ready to be sent away. Did she get a psyche vow? I didn't read that anywhere. She might have. Lawyer's like, you fucked. Yeah. Yeah. if I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on my own terms. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's probably it. Because I'm sure that yeah. I'm sure they probably told her, yeah. if you go to trial, you're gonna get lethal injection. Lethal yeah. So I suggest you just take the we're plea, gonna, and gonna you can just die in jail. Give you the drug that you've been given all of your thode. Mm. Actually, um, hers would be better because she wouldn't suffocate to death. She'd just go to sleep. That's true. Inject her with Bengay. So no one ever brought up the possibility that she refused to plead guilty because she simply didn't feel much guilt about what she had done. I think that's probably pretty strong. Uh, she was transferred eventually to a state prison outside Waco. And at that time when she was transferred, I don't have the year, but her son was still living in Nakona doing part-time work. And her daughter, Jennifer, had just joined the Navy. She still says, Vicky says she was compassionate. She said she spent her whole life trying to be good. And she just wanted to be a good nurse and a good person. So she went on a killing spree? That was in 2006. I didn't really get a whole lot of information between that. And then the most recent thing I found is July of 2015. She and her defense team are seeking a new trial. The evidence in question was the syringe found in her trash can. The syringe was tested for fingerprints. That syringe has since been destroyed. Well, her fingerprints wouldn't be on it because you, if she wore gloves, it wouldn't be there. Would she wear gloves anytime well, you handle needles? She was in all the rooms. They had missing vials. When she got fired, they probably didn't have missing vials anymore. They found the syringe in her trash can. I mean, and probably after she was fired... They didn't have any more episodes of it. So to me, it seems like... Well, and didn't all the bodies have that medicine in their system? Yes. Okay, so... They fired Kirk, too. She's still in jail. Good, and I hope she rots there. I hope hope somebody finds a dirty syringe and stabs her with it. She's dubbed the angel of death. And I think the death toll was up to 20. I mean, they have proof of the ones that they found, more than 10, but up to, it said up what to about, 20. And what about those ones that didn't have family? Yeah. That yeah, she, like, you. that she, you know, killed? Not to mention the attempt. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the ones where she had tried twice, like. Yeah. I find mm. attempted murder to be pretty fucking serious. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Agreed. It's up yeah. there with murder. Yeah. Well, you had you the. didn't get it there. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't you. It was them. We were going to get it. It wasn't there. It wasn't their time to go. Rest in peace, all of the people, the known and unknown victims of this angel of death, piece of shit, Vicky Don Jackson. So rest in peace. Until next week. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Love you. Case File 16. The Nakona Liquid Strangler. Closed. Closed.